trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us at this wonderful, sacred place where we revel in wrong think. And we do it on a daily basis, which kind of makes it a lot of fun. My goal here is not to tell you what to think. My goal here is to encourage you to think as clearly and independently as possible. I've got some great sponsors who make that possible for me to do on a daily basis. They include HSLAmmo.com. Also, MonticelloCollege.org, LifesavingFood.com, and Garage Door Pros. You can check them out at GarageDoorProServices.com. So, I'm having some flashbacks here to some uh, public service announcements from my youth about, uh, you know, I don't know if you remember the Smokey Bear, you know, ads, you know, only you can prevent forest fires. But I remember very distinctly that idea that, you know, you don't just put your campfire out, you put it dead out. In other words, you know, make sure that everything is is cold because even a campfire that appears to have gone out still can contain dangerous embers which could come back to life and uh, and start a big forest fire. I'm seeing a very similar analogy today in the sense that, uh, you know, the threat of COVID mania seems to have gone out. All right, that fire has cooled. You know, we've come to our senses and things have, for the most part, returned to normal. But there are still some remaining hot spots. And because of that, the danger of COVID mania roaring back to life and becoming another, you know, uh, psychological conflagration, I think it's still there. Not a time to, to let our guard down. And, and it's just various hot spots. And to drive this home, I want to share with you some excerpts from the latest uh, Substack essay from The Good Citizen. One more year to flatten the herd. <laughs> I, I, love, I love the good citizen's way with words, but these are some observations from a trip to Walgreens in suburban Portland, Oregon, which uh, the subtitle talks about very much like being scenes from the nut house. The good citizen says, for much of the sane world, or whatever's left of it, the pandemic theater is over, but some places refuse to let go. So these are observations made during a 20-minute wait in line at a Walgreens pharmacy in early June. And the good citizen starts with a quote from Christopher Hitchens. Don't take refuge in the false security of consensus and the feeling that you're bound to be okay because you're safely in the majority. That's actually very sound advice. So the the good citizen talks about the packed family minivans pulling up to the drive-thru window visible through the plexiglass wall of the interior pharmacy in the back of this Walgreens. The man working the drive-thru was younger than 30, but well over 300 pounds. His fat rolls melted down to his knees, concealing half of his upper legs, torso, and hips. If he wasn't on cholesterol, heart, diabetes, and a host of other drugs himself, well, he probably soon would be. Maybe he'll get an employee discount. Nevertheless, he sat there slouched toward the exterior drive-thru window, presumably on a sturdy stool, all of which was concealed by his massive girth, barking orders, uh, half-coherent half orders through a face diaper into a microphone at the families who all dutifully wore masks inside their cars on a hot summer day. You're going to test yourself first, then your children, 
He barked at them in a serious tone that said the pandemic was far from over and everyone was in grave danger unless they knew with precision PCR certainty if they had the sniffles or not. Now, to Walgreens' delight, the government uh, or taxpayers would subsidize these tests along with millions of others for an indefinite time frame. So making sure everyone gets tested, that's a boon to these corporations, and it's also a useful tool for politicians to push more restrictions to justify their coming midterm election fraud. Though Portland doesn't really really need to rely on election fraud with people so eager to keep reelecting their tormentors. The Good Citizen reports that in front of the pharmacy, the shelves were lined with every product conceivable related to Branch Covidian Theater. Pulse oximeters, Binax now self-testing kits for 25 bucks a pop, boxes of hundreds of cheap plastic particulate-laden Chinese-made disposable masks, eager to be used and disposed of, so each one can wrap around and suffocate sea life, disposable gloves, aspirin, nasal sprays, digital thermometers, If it's ever been advertised over the past two years and imprinted in the collective memory of the hive-minded Covidian, at least as Walgreens is is eager rather to send it. And by the way, backing that up, the good citizen includes a tweet from Herb Powell, which says, when they say the pandemic is not over, what they mean is there's still vaccines to be taken, goalposts to be moved, and money to be made. Change my mind. Hmm. That, that one rings pretty true, though. So the family outside the drive-thru ran around their minivan, poking each other's nasal cavities as if the world will end soon if they don't know the condition of their own health as determined by faulty testing. Well, maybe they're flying somewhere that has strict guidelines for entry, the good citizen wondered before telling himself to live and let live. Now, I tried live and let live, he says, but it didn't last more than a moment as a family came tiptoeing past me inside the store as if measuring their distance from me while giving me the evil eye for not wearing a mask. Outside, the insanity continued. The ensuing family minivan pulled up, everyone inside also wearing masks. The theater of the absurd was repeated. Sodium azide pokers, red faces, watery eyes, sneezing, wincing, racing around the car like a Chinese fire drill. Father and mother poking their children towards safety and security, while a morbidly obese man in a paper mask yelled instructions at them through a microphone. Another car, SUV, and minivan followed with similar variations of the testing theater. So, either a lot of families were traveling to some highly restrictive biomedical state like New Zealand, or the people who populate dysfunctionally neurotic blue state cities like Portland, Oregon, are well conditioned through fearful social contagions to keep the pandemic performances alive. I tend to think it's the latter. I, I tend to think he's zeroed in on it here. Now, the good citizen asks, what will be the reward for such blind obedience to political science that demands subordination through cultish behavior? A lab that's fully subsidized by the corporate state will soon tell them if they have a cold or not. In a previous iteration of our world, one definitively saner than our own current timeline, these people would not have been permitted to assess their own health status by simply taking a moment, or rather would have been permitted to assess their own health status simply by taking a moment or two to think about their physical state. See, this is the genius of the great con of asymptomatic spread through asymptomatic cases and the obsession with knowing if one is infected. For the first time in history, Resultant physical reactions or symptoms that are being attributed to a lab-engineered bioweapon posing as a virus cannot be determined through simple self-assessment. And this renders all of humanity 
permanent vectors of transmission and suspicious nodes of harm that must be kept at a distance at all times and viewed with contempt if they refuse to participate in the madness. Oh, and if the PCR certainty tells these family that they're, that they're positive, oh, the horror. Here's what the New York Times lists as, as symptoms of coronavirus subvariants BA4 and BA5, which they are, say are similar to those earlier versions of Omicron. So this is what they're up, up for if they test positive and actually have the virus. Cough, runny nose, sore throat, fatigue, headaches, muscle pains, congestion. I mean, that seems pretty straightforward, right? Not exactly the kind of stuff that's going to land you on a ventilator, but we're supposed to play along. We're supposed to pretend that, oh, yeah, yeah, this is very serious business, man. Don't, don't, even, don't even question it for a moment. Now, an industry can only extract so much profit from people incapable of rebellion or resistance, and they'll only be interested in rendering those people dependent on the source of their riches by inducing constant illness. Health comes last, says the good citizen. I'm going to skip ahead here, kind of cut to the chase. He finishes with a quote, um, courtesy of, of Greg Reese on Substack. This is a final letter from Dietrich Bonhoeffer to Adolf Hitler on how the stupid are more dangerous than the malicious. Bonhoeffer said, stupidity is a more dangerous enemy of the good than malice. One may protest against evil that can be exposed and, if need be, prevented by use of force. Evil always carries within itself the germ of its own subversion in that it leaves behind in human beings at least a sense of unease. Against stupidity, we're defenseless. Neither protests nor the use of force accomplish anything here. Reasons fall on deaf ears. Facts that contradict one's prejudgment simply need not be believed. In such moments, the stupid person even becomes critical. And when facts are irrefutable, they're just pushed aside as inconsequential, as incidental. In all this, the stupid person, in contrast to the malicious one, is utterly self-satisfied and, being easily irritated, becomes dangerous by going on the attack. For that reason, greater caution is required than with a malicious one. Never again will we try to persuade the stupid person with reasons, for it is senseless and dangerous. Now, there's much more to this article and even more to that Bonhoeffer quote. I'm going to let you discover them for yourself. Click on the link I provide in my show notes to this article from the Good Citizen Substack. You can find my show notes at thebrianhideshow.com. Might even want to subscribe. There's an option to do so right at the bottom of the page. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Thanks for being part of my audience of wrong-thinking people, wherever you may be. I was actually telling some folks I just met last night for the first time. Uh, there was an event thrown by the Idaho Freedom Foundation, Let Freedom Sing. And uh, talking to a brother and a sister who were attending the uh, Idaho Republican State Convention in uh, Twin Falls, Idaho. And great people, just really good people. And uh, I, I just told them, I don't know how big my audience is. I don't really care how big my audience is, is this is not just a product of, ah, I need these numbers, got to pump up those numbers, you know, and make sure that we're reaching the maximum number of people. I don't know how big the audience is. Frankly, I don't care that much how big my audience is. What I care is that there are people out there like you 
who are looking for truthful clarity. You know, they, they want to timely information that'll be, help them better understand the world around them. And more importantly, help them understand what they can do to use their influence wisely wherever they happen to be at the moment. That's what this program is about. It's not me telling you what to think. It's just about giving you options to consider that you're not going to get through through mainstream media sources. And, you know, I, I try to, to find information that I believe is credible and that actually has, has been vetted. But even I can't guarantee, oh, it's all good. You can trust that nobody's ever wrong. But I have some great resources for wrong thinkers like you. And I appreciate you being part of my audience. Well, you know, the problem with being serious about standing up for your rights is that the people determined to take them away from you get very upset for some reason. I actually saw this uh, recently in an editorial from one of the uh, big Idaho newspapers. Oh, my goodness. They are so upset and so concerned about citizens who have recognized that, you know what, the people in power are no longer operating in our interest. And maybe it's time we start withdrawing consent and perhaps even organize ways withdrawing that consent. See, to them, everything's an insurrection. It's all an insurrection. This is seditious what you're suggesting. Which is, if you're not willing to participate in your own enslavement, then, well, you know, that's, that's insurrection. So while the January 6th committee does its part to, uh, to, you know, play the part of victims and punish people, you know, overwhelmingly. What's the lady's name? Pam Hampill, 69-year-old uh, grandmother, cancer patient, just reported to serve a couple of months in prison in California because she trespassed, misdemeanor trespass in the U.S. Capitol. On January 6th, like others, she was waved in by police officers who moved the barriers aside and held the doors open. Now, this is not to say that nobody did anything wrong that day, but, you know, to simply be in there, well, that's uh, that's a very serious crime. And the judge felt like, you know, the press had really pushed for, you got to punish this lady. And so they're sending her off to prison. And I mean, she's scared. And, you know, rightly so. That's a scary place to go for a misdemeanor trespassing charge. Yeah, I'm sorry. It's. This is what it means to, to see political prisoners being punished by the process and being held up as examples. This is what will happen to you if you don't help us enslave you. So I wanted to share with you some excerpts from an article. This is from the American conservative, Alex Madagian. I hope I'm saying the name right. Conservatives must prioritize the Second Amendment. Now, this is not just a rant about, you know, got to keep my guns. This is a plea to look at all our civil and natural rights as being connected. Alex Madagian says, Without the right to defend ourselves, all other political battles become irrelevant. At different times, for different reasons, it's perfectly acceptable for different conservatives to prioritize different issues. But at no time should any conservative compromise on the right to self-defense. Not only is the threat of a tyrannical government ever-present, But street violence is an ever-present danger, too. The threat to life posed by a rapist in the night is just as much a threat as that from a totalitarian regime. If the conservative movement is really a pro-family movement, then no law-abiding American citizen should be denied the right to protect himself and his family. And a compromise on gun rights is necessarily to compromise on abortion, taxes, immigration, school choice, welfare, right to work, and any other political issue. All other political questions are irrelevant if you and your family are at the mercy of a tyrannical government or a violent street thug. What good is your right to to free speech if it can be taken away at the point of a gun? 
What use is your right to life if you cannot defend yourself? Americans understand we're born with rights and it's the duty of government to preserve those rights. But as conservatives, we understand humans and human institutions cannot always be trusted. Yet knowing human nature, we also know we can trust the government not to infringe our rights if we make the prospect of doing so too costly. I love this. Officials must know they can be held to account. As we witnessed with the recent passage of the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act, Senate and House Republicans who campaigned on protecting the Second Amendment were not only willing, but happy to give a win to the anti-gun left with a whole new slew of gun control provisions for absolutely nothing in return. In fact, Utah's Senator Mitt Romney wanted the deal to be even more extreme. That's no surprise for anybody who's been paying attention to what Mitt does as opposed to what he says over these many years he's been in office. Elected Republicans have this mentality because conservative voters have given them a pass to cut corners off the Second Amendment. So as long as the left appears more radical than they are, voters think the GOP can do no wrong even as our right to bear arms is eroded. They and we must learn you cannot claim to support the Second Amendment if you compromise on it. And if removing the right to defend yourself really made everyone safer, then perhaps the anti-gun groups would have a point, but it's just not true. According to the CDC's analysis of several studies in 2013 during the Obama administration, there were between 500 to more than 3 million defensive gun uses per year, meaning tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of lives are saved by guns every year. And since nearly 70% of criminals committed their crimes with an illegally obtained firearm, more gun regulations will only hinder a minority of gun-related crimes. In general, regulations only serve as barriers for lawful Americans' ability to exercise their right to defend themselves and their families. Common gun control initiatives like waiting periods and protracted background checks can deny access to life-saving firearms. So if a riot were to break out in your hometown, like the George Floyd riots of 2020, and you needed to protect your family that very day, a waiting period would make you and your family defenseless in your time of greatest need. Regulations like expanded background checks, which are already required for every retail gun purchase, serve as an excuse to deny Americans their rights. The background check system is flawed as about 9 out of 10 denials are the result of false positives. Additionally, the background check system provides a paper trail so the government can easily expand its illegal registry of gun owners. An ATF official could easily search thousands of firearms records and produce a list of lawful gun owners' home addresses with the simple use of Control-F. These records are the first step toward gun confiscation. So, at its core, any call for gun regulation, be it on the right or the left, ignores a far more worrisome problem, and that is humanity's capacity for evil. The anti-gun crowd targets the gun because they're afraid of focusing on the true culprit in gun violence, namely, the person behind the gun. Now, there's rarely an attempt to understand why a young man would become so twisted as to murder innocent children. The media and politicians gloss over that hard question and immediately jump to asking how soon they can pass the next useless firearm regulation. So Alex Madagian says, look, we need a serious national conversation focusing on why a young man would commit such a vile act, not how he accomplished it. Conservatives need to stop thinking gun rights are an issue about which we can compromise. 
He says, do not fall for the lie that we can give over our Second Amendment rights in exchange for a win on some other policy issue. We need to look at all our civil and natural rights as being connected. And he says, compromising with the left on the right to self-offense gives them the green light to stomp on everything else. That is beautiful, it is succinct, and it is absolutely right. Yeah, think about this. The people who, just within the last couple of years, were insisting that you give up your bodily autonomy and take a forced injection that you may or may not have wanted are the same ones insisting that uh, you need to give up your guns, too. Yeah, I think, I think I'll pass on that, bro. Thanks, though. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Welcome back to the show. A quick shout out here to Garage Door Pros. I do appreciate them being a sponsor of this program. And for my listeners in St. George, Cedar City, this is in Southwest Utah, or Mesquite, Nevada, or Colorado City, this is a local company to you. They install, they service, they repair garage doors made right here in America. They have a very quick response time, a much faster lead time than other companies can give you. They have insulated garage doors. Maybe you do a lot of storing of stuff in your garage. That insulated door can really help a lot with managing heat and cold. And, of course, they offer commercial service as well. Now, I have a link to their website, garagedoorproservices.com. Click on it. It's in my show notes. Or you can call them at 435-525-2773. Again, that's Garage Door Pros. I do appreciate them being a sponsor of this program. I got an article here that stung me pretty hard. I admit it. This one, I felt it. The title is Snack and Die Early. It's by Jeffrey I. Bark, who's a medical doctor. And he says, recently I sat in my airplane seat before takeoff and watched a parade of the obese squeeze down the aisle. Many seemed barely able to shuffle through that narrow space. How they would maneuver their bodies into the 18-inch wide seats that awaited them, well, that was another mystery. Never was it more evident to me how unhealthy our society has become than on witnessing that performance. Now, he says, I estimated at least half the passengers on the airplane appeared sufficiently overweight to be overweight rather to be clinically obese. So, how did this happen? Well, something to drink, sir, asked the polite flight attendant. She passed my roll. She placed the famous Southwest snack mix package next to my water, and I studied the ingredients, canola oil, soybean oil, corn syrup, along with sugar. There were at least 40 separate ingredients listed, some of which I couldn't pronounce, a few I didn't even recognize. Now, he says, I've eaten these bits of pretzels, crackers, and nuts, no doubt, before. They're sufficiently tasty and salty to make you want a second package. It even says right there on the front of the package, snack and smile. But maybe it should tell the truth. Snack and die early. He says, many years ago, I woke up to the realization that the food industry and the government agencies that oversee them do not seem to have our best interest at heart. And all you need to do to verify this point is look around you to see what the overconsumption of processed, highly refined foods has done. It's led to a pandemic of chronic illness, autoimmune problems, heart disease, diabetes, and more. Mix this ingestion of inflammatory chemicals with putting 70-plus doses of different vaccines into every school-aged child's arm, 
encouraging mothers to formula feed when they can find and buy the product that is, and surrounding ourselves with new powerful electromagnetic fields, and you start to see the danger. Big Pharma has contributed to this new world of chemical engineering by providing and advertising a drug for every ailment. And many of the largest pharmaceutical companies, well, they're also in the food business as well. Now he asks, could the same companies that offer cures for various diseases be contributing to the explosion of diseases that we now face? Are they profiting from both sides? That would be like owning the liquor store, the local liquor store rather, and the alcohol rehab center next door. For example, example rather, one of the largest pharmaceutical companies, Abbott Laboratories, also owns the best-selling baby formula Similac and is the fourth largest manufacturer of infant formula. By any chance have you reviewed the list of ingredients for sensitive babies? The list might shake you. He actually gives, you know, the, the list there. Asking, why are these inflammatory substances, what are they doing to the insides of our babies? What are the long-term consequences? I would read the list, but I, seriously, it's, it's stuff that I don't even think I could, could pronounce. Fructoligosaccharides, yeah. There's a lot of stuff in there that you, you'd have a hard time saying on a good day. Anyway, the doctor, back to his Southwest flight. He says, by the time I passed on the snack and smile mix and instead ate what I brought on board with me, raw organic nuts, grass-fed beef jerky, and slices of organic apple. And his point here is that this is not a flex, but it's that with a little effort, each of us can improve our nutrition and take greater control of our health. And it can start by reading labels. Now, if there are words you don't understand, it may be best to pass on that food item. Next, avoid all products containing processed seed and vegetable oils. They are all very inflammatory, designed to make food last a long time on the shelf, and used to enhance a product's taste so you'll want more. And he gives some examples. These are the oils that you'll want to avoid. Corn oil, soybean oil, sunflower oil, canola oil, and grapeseed oil. Instead, he recommends use coconut oil, avocado oil, or olive oil. Now, you can also add raw butter churned from organically raised grass-fed cows to the list of healthy, healthy fats. Yes, that's right, butter. And since while we're on the topic, if you can tolerate the lactose sugar in milk, consider switching to a raw organic grass-fed milk. That's what he puts in his morning coffee these days. So, back to other healthy tips. Next, he says, get rid of all other kinds of sugar. Not just the sugar found in cookies, cakes, and snacks. And candy, of course. But also those sugars found in such products as Southwest Snack and Smile Mix. You'll only know what you're eating when you read the list of ingredients. And finally, he says, for now, buy organic produce whenever possible and eat more of, the, more of those veggies and fruits. And with a little effort, we can all improve our health. Now, I get it. You know, there's those who will say, well, that's kind of a holier-than-thou attitude. And I, I really don't get the sense that Jeffrey Bark, MD, is, is so much flexing on us and trying to tell us, I eat healthier than you, therefore I'm better. As it pains me to admit this, but uh, look, I'll, I'll, I'll confess, as a guy who's carrying around an extra 40 pounds of myself that I probably shouldn't be, he has a point. And I think a lot of that extra weight I'm carrying has to do with the fact that snacks are easy and they're tasty and they're, they're you know, easy to access. So I'm going to throw a possibility out there, and I don't do this to, to be gloom and doom. I'm just suggesting that if something were to happen and we were to find that our basic uh, food supply 
was much tougher to come by. In other words, if you couldn't just trundle on down to Costco and score whatever you want, ooh, I love that uh, cheese and caramel corn mix. Yes, better get two bags of that just in case. But if the time came where we suddenly didn't have access to all of those wonderful snacks and and uh, those uh, sinful indulgences that we like to engage in, and I'm pointing at myself for, first and foremost, would you be able to eat a healthier diet? Would you be able to eat more vegetables? Would you be able to go with smaller portions? I can tell you right now, for me, that would be a big adjustment. I would, I would find myself struggling. I would be hungry. I'd probably be pretty grumpy. But I'm also thinking, man, if tougher times are upon us, maybe I kind of want to get ahead of the curve and I want to do what I can to eat healthier. I'm already doing more to get out and move around more. And, and I like how I'm feeling about that. But I think there's some solid advice here. And I'll also confess, the best I've ever felt in my life. Granted, this was when I was working with a personal trainer, Patty Goey. You are still a superstar in my mind. Under Patty's tutelage, I took about a year and a half, dropped 45 pounds, totally went off sugar, totally went off, you know, complex or uh, processed carbohydrates. I mean, I was, I, it was called the sugar busters diet. But that weight came off slowly but it stayed off for a very, very long time. I've never felt healthier in my life. And I kind of regret that I haven't been doing that more lately, but you know what? I make excuses. I'm really good at justifying, well, you know, I may work from home, but, uh, you know, I eat at weird hours. I get up at weird hours, and I, uh, I don't know uh, exactly how I could do this better. And sometimes when I'm feeling stressed, which usually after I'm looking at <laughs> the state of the world, I'm feeling a bit of stress. Yeah, I want to reach for something salty or something sweet, just a snack on. And it's it's not a matter of, well, I'm hungry. I'm just trying to feed my body so much as I'm just trying to eat something until that anxiety diminishes, which is a variation of I'm going to eat until the pain goes away. So if you've ever found yourself in a similar situation, I'm not telling you, boy, you better do something about it now. But I will tell you that uh, I'm at the point where I think I do need to start taking my health, and particularly my diet, more seriously. And this article kind of gave me a kick in the seat of the pants that I'm pretty sure I needed. I don't think it was an accident that I came across this. So I'll link to this in the show notes, and I'll encourage you, take a look at it yourself. I don't know if it's going to speak to you the way it spoke to me, but as uncomfortable as it feels right now, I feel like, yeah, I should probably do something about this. I should probably act on that little prompting I'm feeling that says, you need to toughen up, and it starts with, with eating better than you're eating right now. All right, you can check it out. It's in the show notes at thebrianheidshow.com. By the way, I'm going to mention this in, in kind of the same breath. I don't know how well stocked you are on food storage and emergency preparedness supplies, but one of my sponsors is lifesavingfood.com. And yes, there is a link in my show notes that will take you right to their website. I don't have a particular product in mind to tell you you need this right now. But I promise you, if you go on the lifesavingfoods.com website, you're going to find some things that you'll go, ooh, you know what? That could be handy. Take that little journey. I think you'll find it a very worthwhile one. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
This is The Brian Hyde Show. And just like that, we are back. HSLAmmo.com is one of my sponsors of this program. I want to sing their praises, but uh, nothing will do more than, uh, than taking the time to just go to their website, look at what they have to offer, and to keep in mind that uh, ammunition is more than just, you know, an occasion to make noise. I mean, you can go out and recreate, and it's, it really is fun. Take the family to the shooting range. It's, that's, that's actually a really good exercise, and you do get exercise, walking back and forth, checking targets and so forth. It's also a great way to teach responsibility. It's a great way to improve your skill at arms. But I like to throw out there just for the consideration of people who are kind of thinking ahead. If you were looking for a good store of value, as in a barterable good or some way to, to store the value of your depreciating dollars in something that will always have utility and will be desirable, ammunition. I'm not saying you need a bunker full of it, but you set aside a few extra boxes of ammunition, I promise you'll have some ballistic wampum for trading should you need it somewhere down the road. Just a little something to consider. HSLAmmo.com would be a great place to start. So I've got two articles here that I'd like to touch on briefly. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this one, but Pat Buchanan, um, love him or hate him, I think Pat Buchanan has a very solid take on the world geopolitical scene. And I say that because he is one of the best informed writers and commentators out there as far as the historical context of what's happened. And when I want to get some really good, you know, zoom out to 30,000 feet, big picture understanding, Pat's one of my go-to guys. And he has an excellent article that wonders, is a U.S.-Russia war becoming inevitable? And this is not uh, part of the whole, let's Russia's to blame narrative, you know, that, that's been pushed on us so hard for the last little bit. Especially by U.S. politicians and media. But it's asking a very serious question. And, and you know, I, I know we're, we're kind of, you know, led to believe, well, you know, Russia's the only ones who are being aggressive and doing wrong things. No, no. It's, it's pretty hard to find good guys. I look around on the world stage right now. Nobody's wearing a white hat. Everybody has blood on their hands. But it makes you wonder, why would politicians at this point in time push so hard for conflict with Russia? Because that appears to be what they're doing. Ukraine is just one of the most visible places where this is happening. Anyway, you might consider Pat Buchanan's uh, counter take on the uh, Russia is to blame narrative. And the serious stakes, as in, are we being pushed toward not only a cold war, but possibly a hot war with a nuclear-armed power? And you have to ask yourself, why would, why would the people who you know, hold the levers of power at this time, why would they want to do such a thing? I can tell you my honest answer. I could be wrong on this, but I believe it's because they're evil enough that they would, in fact, start a nuclear war. They would start World War III in order to cover the crimes that they have committed against humanity. I'll leave it at that, but that's, that's how little faith I have in uh, the political class and their enablers in the mainstream media. I think they are very wicked people, and they are willing to burn the house down with us in it rather than admit they're wrong and change course. All right, let's go to a little bit lighter note. Right now, if you are paying attention, you might be tempted to change your preferred pronouns to aware or awake and alarmed. 
Okay, that's I know I'm I'm definitely feeling that myself. There's there's a lot going on. Jeff Minnick, writing for intellectualtakeout.org, has a great essay about a candle in the darkness, a call to enlist against tyranny. I love how he starts out here. He says, Staying upbeat these days sometimes requires the strength of a Samson, the mindset of a millennialist, the heart of a Pollyanna, and a bottle of New Amsterdam vodka. So he says, I lacked all of these weapons one recent evening. I'd taken, I've taken a leave of absence from alcohol, and the other attributes were as remote from me as the Himalayas. Now he says, my personal life was in good order, but the bankrupt economy of our nation and the ongoing moral collapse in our public square had driven me into a deep funk. The online pictures I had viewed that day of some screeching women carrying baby dolls and wearing clothing doused with fake blood in support of abortion rights plus the news that an economic tsunami is headed our way, would have wiped the smile from the face of any optimist. In fact, he says, my trip to the grocery store that afternoon further depressed me, revealing as it did that the rotisserie chicken I bought a year ago for $5.99 now sports a price tag of $7.99. On arriving home, I unloaded canned goods, rice, and pasta from the trunk of my car, foodstuffs bought to fight inflation and a possible food shortage. I then scanned part of a scholarly work published a decade ago, What is Marriage? Man and Woman, a Defense. Given our present madness regarding LGBT, Pride Month, and the inability of many people to define the word woman, What is Marriage? seemed as antiquated as spats and bobbed hair. Now, Jeff Minnick says, All my life, I have loved my country, even when we quarreled. But on this particular evening, America seems driven into a dark corner, goaded and maddened by radical crazies and undermined by the very leaders elected to, to serve and honor her. In this spirit of gloom, he says, I sat at my dining table, littered with papers and hillocks of books, and there I brooded a bit, dispatching a few emails before going to the porch to watch the sunset. When darkness fell, I returned to the table and my misery, shuffling through to-do lists and bills, glancing now and again at headlines and commentary on my laptop. He says, I felt worn and exhausted, more by my thoughts than by physical fatigue. I wanted to go to bed, but hitting the sheets that early would mean waking at 3 a.m. and staring at the ceiling until dawn. And then from one of the piles on the table, he says, I picked up a used book I'd found a few days earlier on the giveaway shelf at my library. Ten Brave Men, Makers of the American Way, by Sonia Darty. Darty, rather. It's an out-of-print collection of many biographies told in story form for teenagers. And he says, I thought the older grandkids might enjoy reading it when they visited. This much-handled hardcover has a frayed and loose binding, its spine marked by a Dewey Decimal number, handwritten in white ink. Opening the book, I found some kid kid had drawn a diagram of a football play on the first page, which brought a smile. He says, I discovered that the author's stories were illustrated by her husband, a famous artist at that time. The title page listed the historic figures featured in the book, heroes like William Bradford, Roger Williams, Thomas Jefferson, and Abraham Lincoln. It also bore a stamp, Rahway High School Library. He says the next page revealed that Ten Brave Men was published in 1951. That's the year he was born. And then the lone words on the opposite page hit me in the face like a bucket of cold water. I dedicate this book to all those who have the courage to enlist in tyranny over the minds of men. Now Jeff Minnick says that dedication shamed me. What kind of knucklehead was I? Did I not know that despair was only one footstep away from defeat? 
Was I like one of those summer soldiers and sunshine patriots in Thomas Paine's The American Crisis who shrink from the service of their country? In that same pamphlet, published in the dark days of 1776, when the cause of American liberty hung in the balance, Paine wrote, These are the times that try men's souls. Well, today in America, we also live in trying times. Only our enemies are not British and Hessian troops commanded by a faraway king, but are instead many in our own government and their cohorts who seek the destruction of our Constitution, our laws, and our culture. Did Sonia Doherty's call to oppose tyranny revive my spirits? He says, well, not altogether, but I knew that with some sleep and with the morning, my mood would pass, as moods often do, and that, God willing, I would be ready in whatever small way I can to defend our rights and liberties with hope in my heart. In the foreword to brave to ten brave men, Darty wrote, All great causes are born of necessity. When a wrong becomes too much to endure, it's a sign that the time for progress has come. And Jeff Minnick concludes by saying, May this be the time when the unhappy American people begin that process. Now, I'm going to take it one step further, and I understand that it's probably going to make you uncomfortable, but I'm, I intend to make you as well as myself a little uncomfortable in asking this. What are you doing to answer the call to enlist against tyranny? I know there are some people out there who, because of the hysterical nature of, of how they think and their tendency to project their own tendency toward violence on others, would say, well, that sounds like a call to violence. Are you guys planning, to, planning some seditious activity? But I'm thinking that uh, the call to enlist against tyranny doesn't necessarily mean, well, violence is the first place you're going to go. I think it starts with something a lot more subtle, but just as committed, and that is a refusal to go along with those who are trying to do you dirty. Now, that's going to look different for different people, okay? I'm, I'm not saying this is a one-size-fits-all proposition. But I'm suspecting that you probably hear that call to stand up and be counted as someone who can be that candle in the darkness, a source of light and encouragement for people who likewise would willingly stand up for what's good and what's true. And so again, I ask, what are you doing today toward that end? This is The Brian Hyde Show.